Podcasts are an independent way for podcasters like me to bring a local voice to your ears. At the Spent the Rent Podcast, we strive to raise awareness of topics that affect the often underrepresented. Our title sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro, offers free money management advice that can help you take control of your finances. At OregonCashflowPro.com, you will find videos to guide you towards your goal of financial freedom. For more info, there will be a link in the show notes. The following podcast is available on all major streaming sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can now listen to all previous episodes, donate to the podcast, and buy shirts directly from the Spent the Rent podcast at our newly designed official website, strpod.com. Welcome to the Spent the Rent podcast. I am your host, Patty Rose. My guest today is dear friend of the podcast, journalist for hire, Daniel Miller. Daniel, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this is really exciting. I've known you now for a couple of years. Uh, you started coming into the barber shop because you worked as a bouncer a couple doors down at a, at a bar on campus and got into that with the back history, backstory in uh, fighting MMA. And so that's early on what we talked about a lot. And then you and I started getting into talking more about politics and global affairs. And I admire your positions and your viewpoints and your ability to try to reach across the aisle, so to speak, and try to persuade people with differing views to kind of hear uh, challenging things and to learn you know, from somebody with a different perspective. So again, thanks for doing this. This is really exciting. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. It's my my first podcast ever, and I'm a little nervous, but uh, I think we'll get through it. I think we'll be good. One of the things that I sought out when I started the podcast was to elevate voices of the underrepresented. So uh, my podcast has been a lot of people's first podcast, you know, because I want to bring people on that don't get a lot of exposure, maybe don't get a lot of interviews, because there's voices that just don't get heard very often. And we're going to touch on it in a little bit about your budding journalism career. And so you definitely are at the ground level of building a career. So this is something that's really exciting because I know that you have high aspirations where you're going to take that. So, so you grew up in Texas. Uh, tell me a little bit about what, you know, growing up in Texas and what brought you to Oregon? Okay. So I was born and raised in uh, central Texas. I grew up in a, a small town called Goldthwaite. It has uh, less than 2,000 people in the town and very conservative area. And after high school, I moved to a town called Stephenville. And a few years later, that's where I got into mixed martial arts. And um, so I got into that in 2009. In 2011, um, I turned pro and I moved up to Fort Worth to, um, to see where I could go with that career. And then during that time, um, I had I had shoulder surgery near the end in, in my career, and then that's when Donald Trump came onto the scene. And at that point in time, I had already I was already interested in in uh, learning about religion and, and things like that, and, and the different viewpoints. I was listening to debates and everything, and, and um, it uh, it started getting into politics too, and it just happened to to be all at the same time when this ha- when this is going on. And I started reading more, uh, I started noticing more um, of uh, news articles and, and kind of like just hyperbolic, you know, claims coming across my, my Facebook newsfeed. And the more I started reading, the more I realized how much we were being lied to by a lot of people and how much we were being screwed over by our government. And I, I remember the thing that, that really um, that, that galvanized my interest in all of this. I, um, I clicked on an article I saw on, on Facebook, and it was from a right-wing source, and it said that Obama has done absolutely nothing for immigration. And I didn't know anything about that. And I was like, but just the way he said absolutely nothing, and I was like, that can't be. No, it turns out he was one of the, the harshest presidents ever. He he deported more illegal immigrants in his first five years than Bush did in his entire eight. Right. And the cages were put in place 
before Trump. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. that's another thing is I started talking about Obama's immigration because uh, people were all about Trump's immigration plan. And I was like, Obama's been pretty harsh too because they were saying those same things. And it was met with just such vitriol and, and no, no investigation. I was just called a, a liberal and whatever else, whatever name, you know, there's, there's so many names that they, that they call us. Right. My favorite and, is Libtard. If then several years later, it surfaced that, yeah, Obama did play a major part in that. And the right wing was starting to run with that then. I was like, where were you guys three years ago? Sure. Cause it doesn't fit the narrative. So yeah. then, so this was in Texas. This is your Facebook feed was primarily people in Texas and Oklahoma. And then what brought you to Oregon? You wanted to kind of see a different perspective. That, yeah. The, um, I had heard that the Pacific Northwest was, was, uh, really beautiful. And I, it's this, it was an area that I've always wanted to go and, and explore. And university of Oregon had uh, a really respectable, journalism program and Portland too. I moved to Portland for a few months. I just really wanted to experience something new and, and, in the area. And, uh, like you said, get different uh, viewpoints and just get away. And I, I wasn't happy with, with the, the direction my life was going. And I felt that the best way for me to make a turnaround was to just get away from everything as much as possible and really work on myself. And create like a completely new challenge. Right. Exactly. And I, I wanted to, to, I I had some things to prove to myself too. And I kind of, I've always had the idea, like romantically, like the idea of, of going, starting somewhere new, just going, just being in somewhere. I didn't know anybody and seeing if I could make it. And it was really, really hard, but I did. Yeah. I made connections and I made friends and it, I, I really enjoyed my time up in Oregon and I'd love to go back. I'm in Colorado right now. Um, but, uh, I'd, I'd love to go, go back up there to Oregon. Oh yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Oregon is a vortex. I say this all the time. It's like, if you get too far away, it will suck you back in. So we will definitely be glad to take you back. I'm an Oregon native. So I have that approval. I actually have some sway. <laughs> with the community. Oh, so, so no. Uh, so you attended university of Oregon and you had kind of mentioned it, that you studied journalism and congratulations. You ended up getting your degree class of 2020, the COVID class of 2020, where the pomp and circumstance was kind of swept out from underneath you. Uh, unfortunately there was no ceremony, only virtual, uh, but your degree is the same. The education can't be taken I, from you. Exactly so, what I went up there for. I, I, I was still ambivalent on whether or not I was going to participate in the ceremony. Um, by the time I was, without COVID, right? yeah, yeah. I, I came up there to get an education. I didn't get up. I didn't go up there to, to have pictures taken of me. Sure. And one of the things that I know your time in Oregon that you've talked to me about, uh, one of your roommates was an international student and you made friends from all over the world. And not only did you get to meet some of the, the or, uh, Oregon progressives, so to speak, but also in on the University of Oregon campus, there's such an international presence and people from all over the country as well that it's it, that there's a real diversity on campus. And so, yeah, I, I've met a lot of interesting people from all walks of life all over the world. So I met a, a lot of um, people from China. I I made uh, I, people I still keep in contact with uh, several people uh, from China. Um, uh, it's people from Africa to um, some Europeans, but um, a lot from, from China and, and a, a good number from Africa. And then just all, all around the country, too. Um, a lot of people from, from East Coast, and, uh, Midwest and, and stuff. And so, yeah, I've, I've gotten a lot of, of, of really good viewpoints, had a lot of interesting conversations to good many of them. And as you mentioned earlier, I, uh, I worked at a, a bar. Um, I, I did both a, a bouncer and bartender. And um, I met a lot of, of, of interesting people there too. Um, and uh, a lot of libertarians I, I spoke with. Uh, when, I was, when I was bartending. Oh yeah. Well, when I was, when I was bartending, um, I, I got to, to have more one-on-one conversations uh, with people like that. And um, especially during the day, you know, it's not near as hectic. And uh, yeah, surprising number of libertarians. I think Eugene's funny. Eugene and Lane County in general has a lot more, we'll call them libertarians, but I think it has people that are kind of anti-government. I mean, I think it's funny that people think hippies are Democrats. 
that's that's not true to my experience. I mean, there's people that are hippie light that have they agree on some things like it with hippies, but the hippies were anti-government, you know. And so, yeah. so the, the, well, the thing with the libertarians, um, we agree on so much. Uh, the things that we really have disagreements on are where to draw the government line, right? And they're well. I haven't met a, a libertarian with the exact same view, viewpoint as a as the next libertarian, but most of them, from what I've gathered, is they want little to no government regulation with really anything, and that's where I draw the line because you need certain government regulations to account for externalities, such as pollution that affects us all. Right. So that's just one place to start. And I, I'm, I'm in favor of as little government intervention as possible, uh, especially in a personal life. But I think that government is necessary for regulating business, especially in this capitalist uh, society that we, we live in. I mean, we, right. there has to be regulation or else you get monopolies like uh, Amazon. Well, and then the humanitarian elements of it and why I tend to be more progressive is because if you have government completely just stays out of everything, then you've got just such a mismatch of opportunity for people mm -hmm. because you've got people that are, you know, dealing with discrimination that can't get housing, can't get jobs, can't get, you know right. what I mean? So there's all these different things. It's a difficult balance to find the proper amount of, of government needed. It's interesting because, you know, we talk all the time about the government lying and, and the media lying to us, but then support, progressive candidates that want more government. And this is an argument that you hear a lot from, from the right. But mm -hmm. at the same time, it's like the right wants authoritarianism. I mean, we're seeing it more than ever right now. And so that they're okay with just law and order, which means business as usual. And it's a flawed system that's broken. That's not working for everybody. So you don't have, there's no libertarian voters are, are really interesting, but there's really with the two party system, there's really not going to be, libertarianism in this country it's not an option <laughs> you know so uh yeah a lot of it's cloaked in conservatism too i mean you have uh paul ryan i mean he was a uh, a big libertarian uh you know i he loved ayn rand um uh, Rand paul ron paul they they love uh ayn rand they're they're strict libertarians too um Sometimes there's crossover where i agree with rand paul every once in a while which is shocking well, but then what you said too with with progressives wanting more government, I I think that's that's kind of misleading. Uh, I would say pragmatic government. At least that's where I come from, and a lot of the the progressive movement. That's what I've I've interpreted as well. Well, a, a pragmatic government. Um, so most progressive, like I said, we we have that crossover with the libertarians to where we don't like the government involved in our personal lives. Libertarians, they're for drug legalization, just like progressives are. And some, some yeah, I'll go so far and to say that I don't see the point in having government, uh, worried about who I marry. Like why, why do they care about if you're married or not? Is it for tax breaks? Then you can just do common law. If you want to get married, then go to someone who will marry you. But I don't see why the government should really get involved in that either. Right. Um, and that's where there is some crossover. That's what I was kind of talking about with Rand Paul. There is some crossover where it's like the government just needs to stay out of our business. And I agree. As a progressive, I agree. Marriage equality is an issue that's that's one of my most important issues to me uh, is I support, you know, marriage equality. And, and, and to me, it's a freedom issue. To me, I can't understand how somebody that was always uses freedom. It's my life stay out of my life then can talk about oh no marriage is only between a man and a woman because if you don't want to be married to someone of the same sex don't marry them or don't do it yeah. that's all it is you know yeah. so it's a freedom issue yeah it's it's marriages between people who love each other exactly so anyway so you study journalism at the university of oregon as of right now uh you were working uh kind of freelance and we're gonna do a link in the show notes to your work uh daniel miller for hire is what your facebook page is called Yeah, daniel miller journalist for hire journalist for hire yes and so i want to talk a little bit about your facebook posts and the length of them and 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 whatnot uh a lot of people that are familiar with this podcast know that my goal has been to elevate voices of the people that I admire that are underrepresented. And a lot of times people ask me, how did you meet these people or how did they become guests on your show? And a lot of times it's my Facebook feed coming to life. Now with you, 
uh, you talked about it before, how you got off of Facebook and then you've been back on. So you've only been back on Facebook for a little bit now. So me and you met uh, personally in the barbershop. But lately, your Facebook feed has been very enlightening and inspiring because you have been taking a lot of time writing very thorough articles with journalistic integrity, citing credible sources, focusing on historical evidence. Tell me a little bit about that, some of your recent uh, posts and the things that you've been touching on. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that it's been enlightening and inspiring because that's what I, I shoot for. I try to um, base everything on what I think that people aren't being presented, like inf- information-wise. And, you know, my, my Facebook feed is inundated with Black Lives Matter and then anti-protest. Yeah. Everybody knows what's going on there. And I support, you know, Black Lives Matter. I support, I support the cause 100%. You know, um, I, I condemn all rioting, looting. You know, I feel like I have to... Add that yeah, we'll get to that in a little bit. But, um, but yeah, I, uh, I, like I said earlier, the, all the ways that the government has been screwing over the American people for generations, not just Trump administration. And I, I think that people need to know about that because it directly impacts their life. Right. So, um, that's why I talk a lot about the economy and, you know, the, the sad state that it's in. And I know that the right-wing media, they've, for years, they've talked about how good the economy is, but they've just been basing it on uh, the stock market, which most Americans don't own stock. Matter of fact, I think that the top 10% own like 92% of the stocks, I believe. That's the current right. number. Um, that doesn't do anything. Uh, it's, it's, it's inflated because corporations, they bought their own stocks back. Right. Um, Trump, you know, his his tax breaks, uh, we call it corporate socialism, um, where uh, 83% of the tax benefits go to the top 1% over the next 10 years. And if you're making less than $75,000, then your taxes will increase over that same time span. So this is something that I think a lot of people aren't aware of. And that, that tax law from 2017 it was, I think a lot of people knew that it was a big giveaway to the rich, but I don't think they realized the ways that they were getting screwed over too. Totally. And that's the big thing I think progressives try to point out constantly. You talk about pragmatic uh, government, you know, and it's like, they actually want stuff that's going to work for more people for not just the 1%. You know, uh, I read something recently on Facebook and it was an interesting thing. It said, what is something that is considered trashy if you're poor and considered classy if you're wealthy. And the comment, the one that got the most uh, love, just said government subsidies. <laughs> you know, you know, because it's like when yep. you're wealthy and you have a business that's getting constant government subsidies, and basically taxpayers are paying. I mean, there we could be here for days. So yeah. So with your journalism, you mentioned that you like to talk about economics and obviously political issues and historical relevance to political issues currently, like constitutional issues you know because right now we're in a constitutional crisis ha- yeah. with, with what's happening in the northwest as far as the federal agents and the protesters and we'll get to that in a little bit but but how do you decide on a topic being that you're freelance and and you already mentioned what kind of topics you like to cover but how do you decide on a topic um so i like to pick things that are relevant and or informative so I, I check Twitter often and I see what's trending and what's going on and uh, I'll, I'll post accordingly. And if it's kind of a slow day, then I'll post maybe a, a history lesson that still is relevant to the current situation or um, something about uh, how to spot fake news or um, you know, prop, you know, how to disseminate propaganda or different types of propaganda. It's little stuff like that. I, I really try and, and and help people think about all this all the stuff that's going on and just from different perspectives, yeah. And you know, challenging hypocrisy. One of the things that I see that you point out a lot is hypocrisy. And it's something that I do as well. And I mean, I have more of a an angsty kind of reactionary approach to social media and I'm the first to admit it. And so sometimes I end up blocking people because I'm, I'm butthurt, <laughs> but uh, you know, you, you go at it with more integrity, with more uh, 
patience and and I, I i appreciate that and i i i'm trying to learn from that you know i'm not a journalist i mean you've gone through school to be a journalist and even though i have a podcast people are like well you know he didn't do that interview the right way he talked about himself i'm like dude this is not journalism my goal is for people to do their own research on the topics that i cover this is a form of entertainment for both me and for my audience and it's also you know, a way, like I said, to elevate, to elevate voices today, I'm elevating the voice of a journalist. So you're, you're an actual journalist. I mean, what I'm doing is not journalism, you know? So, uh, one of the things that's really big in the news right now, obviously is, is what's happening in Portland in the Northwest. And I want to touch on this because we're going to be referencing it so much. Let's just get it out of the way. So one of the things you've been very vocal about is the constitutional crisis in Portland. Can you speak on that a little bit? And why it's what's happening is extremely unconstitutional with the federal agents. And with the what you broke up for a second. Oh, with the federal agents. So why okay. is what's happening in Portland and also Seattle more Portland? The Seattle stuff is kind of starting. And I also want to touch on this first. This episode will be recorded one week before release. So some of the things that are being said a week's time in this whole situation could change a lot. So this was recorded the week before people are going to be watching it. But what is what is the, what can you tell us about what you've written about the constitutional crisis in Portland? Well, um, I guess we can go back to the hypocrisy angle of it. I'm wondering where all of these uh, staunch supporters of the 10th uh, 10th Amendment for states' rights are, Um, because this is a states' rights issue, and the states have made it explicit. They do not want the federal government there. Right. And that's that's been several state governments. I haven't looked into it um, in the past couple of days. But last I checked... Uh, it was unanimous. They didn't want the feds there. And they're there because of graffiti. That's they, they've taken, they've had those photo ops. They've taken pictures in front of spray painted buildings. That's the extent that I've seen of it. There's no other real destruction. There, there are some, some, uh, some businesses that are, you know, um, windows are busted out and things like that. But it's for the federal building, like that's what they're they're there to protect. It's just spray painted, and the protesting and freedom of speech that's constitutionally protected right, and freedom of of speech and the the ability to express yourself is the most important tool that we have as human beings, and that shall never be infringed upon. I'm a free speech absolutist, um, and once again, I do not condone rioting, rioting looting, all of that. Yeah, it's the difficult thing is what dis- how people decide what when it becomes a riot. To me, the destruction of property when you're breaking windows, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of the, the the graffiti in Eugene and in Portland happened early on. You know, early in this, I mean, protests yeah. and a lot. The difficult thing is is that there's hundreds of people in Eugene, thousands of people in Portland that are protesting all day long peacefully. I mean, there's grandmas, moms, dads with leaf blowers. Oh, yeah. There's a huge you know, coalition of people now. Right. And there's people that are standing up, that, you know, against the feds being here. My, my thing is, is that now that the feds have made it a talking point for the left, and I'm going to get flack for this, but because they're like, okay, you know, we don't want them here. What about before the feds got there? You know, and and I guess the issue of the feds being there is the escalation. The protests were starting to die down. Some of the conversations had been had about Black Lives Matter, about police brutality. People were talking. Everybody in the country was talking, especially here. I work in a barbershop, so I know full well that people were having conversations about police brutality. And that's the goal of these protests. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, with, with it was starting to die down because it wasn't getting as much traction the feds come in and they blew it up i mean it's escalated to the point now where we are seeing violence and we are seeing stuff towards the police that is really unacceptable i mean in eugene last night and again this is a week behind when people are going to watch this there was rocks being thrown at the police and fireworks and whatnot now i haven't had enough time to digest exactly what happened and i will by the time this is released so i'm sure it's going to be much different that's why it's difficult to do this because I released the podcast a week later. But yeah, it's definitely a really challenging thing to even talk about. Uh, but do you believe that we, well, the question is, 
why why is it that with social media that everybody's going all in? Do you believe that you can support the police and support Black Lives Matter? Black Lives Matter. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm I'm one of those people. So um, it I don't know. It, it it is hard to have a nuanced conversation around these things uh, these days. Um, this country has been so politically polarized, and we've just been been conditioned to react. So if if the opposition says something then it's, we have to think the opposite and it's a divide and conquer strategy and i mean the left is historically bad at messaging framing right absolutely. it's historically very good at at co-opting the message and hyperbolizing it and using it for their own uh, purposes so defund the police for example um there's not an elected official who wants to completely defund the police. That doesn't mean abolish. Defund it means, um, well, and, and, and not in elected politicians' eyes. I don't know of anyone who wants to abolish the police. I think that, and, some- and even real quick, and I, I like where you're going with this and I want you to continue, but when people say abolish the police, and this is where the framing is bad, this is proving your point. I think what they mean is abolish it and then start over with something that's going to be more, uh, you know, it's going to be more representative to the masses and not just certain people. It's not protecting some, uh, there are some, uh, I don't like to use that word radical, but there are some, I think it's a pretty radical position to completely do away with the police. And and if that's what they mean is to abolish it and start over. Well, that's what we all mean too, because we want to reallocate funds, you know, uh, and, and, uh, put in education and, and places that need it, but also, Reform. We need more extensive training, more than just a few months. And we, we need sweeping reforms. Right. Yes, we need the police, obviously. But I also think that we put a, a, lot, of, um, a lot of pressure on them and we, we expect too much out of them. Right. Well, and so. they've got, they've cut so much funding. I mean, this is, this is the problem is, is that there's so much funding been cut to mental health services that it's, and it's going to even happen more because that's covered. That's usually done by the local government. That's done by cities and, you know, like city council is, is working to find ways to help with like homelessness, for example. And then, you know, the police are the ones that are actually on the beat. I mean, we're fortunate in Oregon that we have cahoots, and CAHOOTS has gotten national coverage because they work with the police to decide what is not a, a situation that needs escalation. You know, so CAHOOTS will go, and if there's a mental health crisis or situation, the police will work with them. And, and sometimes they show up together and the police will be like, okay, I think you got this. And I think that that's what people actually want. Is yeah, the- that should have been done a long, long time ago. I mean, it, it's fantastic that that's, that that's happening in Eugene. Uh, that should have been something that happened a long time ago. Right. And also with um, with the cops, they're nervous. Of course they are, because anyone could have a gun. Yeah. Too. Well, and we're seeing that a lot more from what I saw. Again, this is going to be a week behind. And so I'm, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what's going to have happened in that amount of time. Uh, I might release be releasing this live so that I can touch on it. You know, when I, when I do release it, I'll, I'll do some, some follow-ups, but cause this is, you're going to be listening to this a week after this conversation, but, uh, so but, go ahead. Well, my, my biggest concern too is, is the disproportionate retaliation too with this. So graffiti does not equal federal troops coming in. That's, that's the biggest issue I have is that the responses to this aren't, aren't equal. This is a state government thing and the state governments, whether or not a, 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 someone feels that they're not handling the situation like they should. So they need federal troops. That's not up to them. This is this 10th uh, amendment state rights issue. And if the states don't want the federal government involved, it shouldn't be there. Right. I mean, I said it from the gate. It was probably six months ago. There was, and I've mentioned this on the podcast, there was a, CNN on their 48 hour news cycle. It was probably over a weekend. Or I don't remember exactly, but they were talking about how Trump believes that he can win Oregon. So he's setting up a huge ground or grass, not grassroots ground level uh, base of campaigning in Oregon, you know? And I told my girlfriend, I'm like, he does not think he can win Oregon. He is trying to get campaign ads where he has 
he's going to stoke the flames of Antifa because, you know, they could, they could show he's the law and order president, you know? Well, that's not going to work. I'm sorry, but it's not going to, what we have right now is civil unrest and civil unrest in not just in the Northwest. And, you know, you see it across the country that there's massive protests that now people on both, both sides are coming armed. And so we're on the verge of something very dangerous and the federal government is only escalating it because they don't know the people. The federal government doesn't, like you said, they don't, they're not in tune with the states. Unfortunately, you get the argument that people make about Oregon where they're like, well, the governor and the mayors need to do something. What do you tell those people? Vote. Yeah. I mean, there, there's no, it, it's just an annoyance. It seems to everyone right now, there's no, death or destruction and when i say destruction i mean like you know buildings blown up things like that um there's been relatively mild destruction and it, this it's been a shit show from the very beginning um our federal government didn't handle the covid crisis like it should have and so it therefore it caused uh, economic unrest and also back in april i believe when dan patrick goes on Tucker Carlson's show and encourages um, elderly people to get out there and, you know, risk your life. Go ahead and die for the Dow because we got to keep this economy going. And then you see it uh, the next day or the, the day after these, um, these right-wing protests. They're protesting a virus. They want to go back with, to with work. AR, with ARs. And, <laughs> they stormed in, in Minnesota armed protesters were inside the Capitol building at the base of the stairs with weapons, angry yeah. at the government and nobody was arrested. No, no federal troops were called in there. Nothing. And uh, a, a guy from the Trump administration, I don't remember his name or position now, but he went on a, a right wing um, radio show just like this video and everything. And, he said that uh, the riots in Michigan, um, there were there was at least one donor who said that he would pay for the legal bills of anybody who was arrested for that protest. They're out there trying to to get people to go back and die for the Dow, and it was just downhill ever since. And there wasn't an adequate response from the federal government about COVID, and like I said, it created economic unrest and uncertainty to where it kind of made people feel like they had to get back to work. They had no other choice. The but die, die for the Dow. I like that. That's an interesting way to put it. You I, know, call neo, I call them neo-communist. Yeah. They, they, it, same thing as uh, Mao, Pol Pot, Stalin. I mean, they had people go, they, they worked themselves to death for the economy to, to save the economy. Right. And that's, that's a very simplified version. Sure. And, you know, that's for Trump. I mean, the economy was his talking point. And so there's this whole belief from people that are small minded that they're like, oh, this whole thing is orchestrated just to make him look bad. And it's it's just insanity. It's just insanity, you know, and they talk. About, I mean, there's so much projection. You know, people talk about all the protesters. They're like, oh, that's being paid for by George Soros, you know, and I'm just like. Dude, there's literally evidence of Trump rallies where they're paying people to go. You know, you know, there's yeah. there's there's Craigslist ads that are literally like, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I remember hearing about those too. Um, that uh, oh, I forgot there was there was something else I was going. So I wanted to touch on, you know, we talked a little bit about some of the journalistic work that you've done freelance and some of the posts on Facebook um, that you've been putting out. Uh, one of the things that you talk a lot about is foreign relations. And I know that this is something that you're very passionate about and something that people just don't have a big understanding of. Uh, so Yemen is a place that, that is, is a situation that people have no, no idea what's going on. And you've talked to me about it and I know very little. So tell me about the genocide that's happening in Yemen. So, um, this happened that the Yemeni, the Yemeni, Yemen, Yemeni civil war uh, began in 2015 um, with um, the overthrow of um, Hadi. I forget his full name, but he, um, I think he was a Sunni Muslim and friendly to Saudi Arabia. And the Houthi government 
uh, the Shia Houthi government or uh, rebels, I mean, um, overthrew Hadi and um, replaced uh, their guy named Saleh, 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 S-A-L-A-H, I believe. Um, so there's been infighting ever since. And the Houthi rebels are backed by Iran. And Iran is, you know, their enemies with uh, Saudi Arabia. So this is a proxy war going on. And our involvement, we have been, um, we've uh, been giving them bombs and we've been uh, fueling their aircrafts. The Saudi Arabia is indiscriminately bombing uh, Yemen civilians. Open air markets, schools, hospitals, uh, people are dying from starvation. It's, it's a humanitarian crisis there. People are dying from cholera outbreaks. And it's one of the poorest countries in the world. And um, most of the most of the disputes are are territory in the um, uh, southwestern peninsula because there's that that port from the into the Red Sea. Now, you've talked about this quite a bit on your Facebook feed Uh, more off. I've talked to you more off air, but you've done coverage of this in on social media. What kind of response does that get? Are people interested in foreign relations? Are they right now? It we're so focused on what's going on with COVID and domestic stuff. Do people? Does it fall on deaf ears when you talk about you know global stuff? Yeah, so I've I've touched on American imperialism a little bit. I just don't people. I just don't think people realize like the severity of it and, and how much damage that this country is responsible for um, over generations. Right. We've overthrown. I don't know how many governments we've overthrown or have attempted to overthrow since uh, the CIA came about in oh, 1953, I think it was. No, right. 52. Anyway, um, but one of the first ones that we did was uh, we overthrew the Iranian government in 1953. Their uh, democratically elected leader, Mohammad Mossadegh, he decided that he wanted to nationalize oil and give profits back to the Iranian people. Um, which in turn, that would have taken profits away from uh, Britain and some from us, but uh, Britain uh, got us to intervene and we overthrew their leader and replaced him with um, uh, Reza Shah. And so the Shah was in power until 1979. He was very friendly to the U.S. and our economic interest. And then he was overthrown by an even more radical right-wing government um, that in, instilled the, the monarchy again, um, uh, named uh, Ayatollah Khomeini. And ever since then, we've had sour relations with Iran and um, the, uh, the hostage situation over in, in Lebanon with, with Carter and all that. And then um, the way uh, Reagan handled that situation with the uh, Iran-Contra affair. And he was selling, illegally selling arms. Well, his involvement isn't, you know, um, proven, but uh, it was speculated that he was, he knew about selling arms to Iran and that money that we got from them, we were funneling to uh, rebel groups in Nicaragua to overthrow right. their, their government. And there's been a lot in between there too. And uh, we've done a lot of damage in uh, Southeast Asia and Central America. And here recently, actually, we, um, in, in November or late October 2019, we helped overthrow the government of Bolivia, Evo Morales. He was president since 2006, and his, his term limit, uh, he couldn't run for president again. So he uh, put forth a referendum to abolish term limits, and that, uh, that was voted down. But the Supreme Court ruled that um, term limits were unconstitutional. So whatever your stance is on that, I, I personally feel like there needs to be term limits. But also here, if, if this were to happen in the United States, they abolish term limits and then someone won a third term, there's nothing we can do about it. We say, well, it's, that's what the Supreme Court ruled. That's exactly what happened here. And the election, he... Um, so, so the way they do it, they, they get votes for, um, so the reporters can, can report on it. And then they get later votes, like from the, um, the 
villages and the, the jungles and everything. And so Morales was up by seven points and the opposition was already claiming that it was starting to look fraudulent. And there was, there's still a lot of votes from, from the, the villages have yet to be counted. When they did come in, then it put Morales up by over 10 points. And the way that their system works is that if, if the, there's a more of a 10 point margin, then that person's declared the winner. They don't have a second election or anything like that. Cause they're going to have a, a, like a runoff. And it was completely consistent because Morales had a lot more support in the, the rural rural areas. And so when the results came in, then it was completely consistent with all the polling and everything. Even Morales said, hey, if you think there's voter fraud, fine, we'll have another election. Let's do it. And so we, um, there, there's, I forget the, the initials now, but there's a, a committee in Central America to oversee elections and we fund 60% of that committee. And there's been pressure from Marco Rubio and uh, the Trump administration to oust uh, uh, Morales. And so what happened there was um, they started disputing the claims of the election and the military forced Morales to step down. It was, that's what you would call a coup. Um, he feared for his safety. His I actually saw a video of this. Uh, his his house was uh, was ransacked. Wow! And and torn to pieces. And he fled to Mexico. Mexico offered him um, uh, asylum. Safe haven, yeah, asylum. Safe, safe haven. And uh, so he he took that. And like I said, the the military forced him to to step down. Even that's, this came after he was like, yeah, let's have another election. Let's do it. Right. And as of Still today, in this uh, month, they had an investigation that ended several months ago. I couldn't find any reports that said that the election was fraudulent. Every report that I found said there's no indication that any funding business ever occurred with that. Right. Now, who leads the, the country, it's um, – I can't remember her name now, but she was like a, a vice president in the Senate or something like that. And our government's different than ours a, a little bit. She's a theocrat. She uh, held up the Bible and said that, you know, biblical rule is now back in Bolivia. And last I heard, she was um, forcing all the indigenous people out of the city and into the country. Wow. And she, she's a racist, too. I mean, she doesn't think they have any business. Indigenous people have no business being in the cities. Right. And so the reason for covering these stories is because you're like, we cannot let this happen there at all. But we also are seeing some of these parallels to what's coming here, you know, and where do you get a lot of your, your sources? I mean, when it comes to foreign relations, what is a source that you like to turn to? Multiple sources. Absolutely. I don't have a, I mean, I don't yeah. have a single source. So Twitter, um, I've, I've come across a lot of great, journalists on Twitter. And so I just compare their reporting to other reports and historical context too. I've, I've really tried to go back and, and study the history of, of American foreign policy and how we got to the situation to begin with. And it, it all just kind of comes together and makes sense. And um, even some of the reports where you're not sure it, do they sound plausible? Well, yeah, based on everything that I've, I, I know so far, it stuff like that sounds plausible. Um, with this story, it's pretty well documented by now. There's a, uh, a Twitter thread. I, I forgot what his name now is uh, from a journalist. And he went into great detail on, on the Bolivian coup. And so that's, I think that that's a new type of, of, of news information that I think is very underutilized. I've talked to so many people. And you're referring about, to social, meaning social media? Well, Twitter. Yeah. Using Twitter as a source. Um, the, the trending topics uh, are, are, are great. And reading the comments, you know, re, re, you know, things that journalists post, things that historians post. So to see if there's consistency. I mean, you, when right. you're using and, Twitter as a source, I don't think what you mean is, is that like Twitter is the news outlet. It's that there's so much of a more of an independent 
it's like independent journalists that are there. There's consistency that you start to see. You start to see yeah. trends, you know. Yeah, and and like I said, you uh, when you read comments on articles and stuff, you'll learn some little tidbits that you never would have known before. Right. So um, you, you just you you have to read a lot, and um, so with, with Twitter, you get a lot of uh, their their anecdotes, a lot of them, and. Because it's Sometimes so true. Historians or, or, or amateur historians, people that do the research but just don't have much of a platform, do it, you know, for fun, and they'll share their information too. And um, a lot, a lot of interesting stuff from there. Um, I just worry about misinformation with just all journalism, yeah. but with social media, that there's a lot of misinformation as well. And unfortunately, it's like just because we see things that are happening consistently on social media, you see like a lot of the same kind of yeah. threads that doesn't necessarily mean that there's, there's evidence to support it. I'm not challenging what you're talking about, especially with, with international stuff, because the coverage for foreign affairs in America is garbage when it comes to like the mainstream media. I mean, it's absolute garbage. They never, they never tell the full story. My favorite. It's they perpetuate the status quo. Oh yeah. My favorite source or from, for main, for like, American journalism. I love the show Frontline and Frontline does a lot of times they have freelance journalists that do these different spotlights and whatnot. It's on every Tuesday on PBS or OPB, but Frontline does a really good job, uh, you know, showing really good journalism where they show multiple sides. You know, we had talked about Portland and the constitutional crisis and Oregon is no stranger to this because we saw a constitutional crisis with what happened with the federal building take, being taken over by the ranchers, by the Bundys. You remember that yeah. situation? Yeah, years ago. And that yeah. was where the right wing was definitely in support of it. And so, you know, and I tried to stay out of that one because I, like, as far as my, I waited for a long time to really form too strong of an opinion because I think that they had some valid arguments. I think some of the ways that they went about it were wrong. Then I think that when the local people, if anybody's unfamiliar with this, I'm going to plug something they can check out. But the people in the in the community were like, we don't want these people here anymore. They're not even from here. You know, and they're coming here to make a statement. And so at that point, I think people need to be listening to the people. And it's kind of like what we're seeing right now in Portland, where people have basically gone all in if they support the protesters. They're like, okay, no amount of destruction is going to, is going to make me think what they're doing is wrong, which is, which is difficult. There's so much more nuance to it. So the movie real quick that I want to say, and that's not, I know that's, that's the argument that's being had. I'm not saying that. I'm glad you brought that up by the way. I got Hold on a sec. So, so um, uh, on, you can find it on Netflix. It's called American Patriot. And it's the story about the Bundy ranchers that was actually put on frontline American Patriot. And it's great. And, and they do show, multiple sides of it. And so I think that there's great journalism that you can find in the States, but they definitely, it's pretty, it's pretty hard to find. And I love frontline. You know, yeah, I watched, definitely. I watched a really good one about uh, Saudi Arabia, about the crown prince, you know, and I feel like frontline doesn't really good, on, on frontline, on frontline. No, frontline. What, how, how do I watch frontline? Uh, frontline's on OPB. So you can actually go to their website and uh, PBS or OPB, and just oh. f- you can watch, you can stream it for free oh, okay. after okay. the fact. Now, what did you want to touch on that I had brought up? Oh well, um, so the Bundys they took over a federal building. Yeah, for, yeah. and then uh, we're able to get right? care. Yeah, and we're able to get care packages. Yeah, we're able to- I remember a lot of people sending dildos though too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to them, I remember reading about that story. Um, I don't know about six, seven months ago. Um, a reporter, uh, David, uh, David Newert. If anybody's unfamiliar. So what happened with the Bundy's and this is my basic understanding. You got to do your own research on this one, but, but basically there was ranchers that were used to having their cows graze on BLM land. Ironically, it's, uh, business and land or what is it what is blm yeah right. business and land management i believe it's yeah, here yeah. in colorado too yeah. right and so they were used to grazing for free on quote-unquote federal land right and so the government basically said you can't do this anymore so the, i think they were going to be taxed or something like now if you want to have them graze here you have to pay yeah and, and, yeah, whatnot. What and so they tried to make the argument that they're like well it's our land it's america there's no such thing as federal land it don't it's it's belong it belongs to the people which that, I mean, we can have that argument because I actually kind of agree with that. Do you know what I'm saying? To an extent, it's like, what the hell? Why is this precedent being set? You know, anyway, 
So in, in, in order to protest that, they basically said, look, we're going to prove that we own everything. Am I saying this right? I mean, this is what it sounds like. Pretty much. That's what, that from what I'm remembering. Yeah. You, you recently watched something on it. It's been a well, little Well, it's been a couple of years, actually, that I've watched that. Okay. I waited. I waited to watch it because it, Frontline a lot of times does coverage after the fact really well. Like they okay. just released something about Iraq that was exceptional. That was like a couple of weeks ago, their episode. And it was about live. It was it was individual stories about Iraq before, during and after the war. And it was really, really cutting edge and just really awesome because it showed perspectives like these people that were like, oh, we loved it when the Americans liberated um, Iraq, but then they kind of left us in the dark and left yeah. us in the dust. And it was like, maybe it's a little bit worse. I just like things that are that are unapologetic about if it's critical of America, it fine. It can show that this is the thing. It's like American exceptionalism is dangerous because we as a country – I love this country so much, and I know you do as well. Criticizing it is because we are evolving, we are growing, and we can learn from our mistakes. You know, it's totally okay with, with me if a politician makes a massive, even mis not massive mistake, but if they make mistakes and they learn from it, you know, but you would hope that they would do their research beforehand so that they wouldn't make blunders. You never know what's going to happen, cause and effect, when it comes to especially foreign relations. No, no kidding. Um, uh, and and real quick, what? How would it look if one of the protesters or several of the protesters took over the federal courthouse in Portland? What do you think right wing media would do? They oh would be God. calling for the the, the know, truth. They would say that Antifa are out of control, and that the federal government needs to do something. But when the Bundys take over a federal building, then eh, nobody really they're, patri cares. they're patriots. That's the thing is they're called patriots. And this is and, the, and the thing with, with the land. It's funny that they, they said that too, because um, conservatives are, are staunchly in favor of, of land ownership and where the federal government, they don't want the government to have any land. They want it all privatized like the extreme conservatives do. So that's, that's funny that that dichotomy there. Oh yeah. With, There's so the much. Bundy's like it's, it's all the people's land. Oh yeah. That's, we could, be in agreement with that too. Right. And uh, that, I mean, unfortunately the hypocrisy pointing it out has lost any effect because the extremes don't care. People are in their corners and they're like, whatever, if we do it, it doesn't matter if we do it. You know, I was watching MSNBC the other night and they were talking about the protests in Portland and they said, you know, this is a constitutional crisis and Donald Trump is only doing this to escalate. And they're telling a lot of things that I actually agree with, but at the same time, I felt like they were leaving out some key important parts to it. But then this is where it's not even like there is the coverage. There's omission is one of the biggest issues in American media. Lying by so, omission. Yeah. Lying by omission. And that's what I feel like NBC, NBC was doing. But then you turn it to Fox and Fox. There's this woman that is half robot that basically says like, and I don't even know if she has these views or if it's just a paycheck, you know, and she says, Oh, these Antifa, I think that they're just protesting because they haven't accepted the results of the 2016 election, which is a president who was duly elected, which is a bold-faced lie because he lost the popular vote. And then they're, they're literally just talking points, calling them these these America hating terrorists. That's what they said about Antifa. All the buzzwords. And they're only talking, they say Antifa, but then they start to say about all of the protesters that it's just a violent scene. They've neglected to tell you, here's the omission where it's four city blocks. And then at night there is destruction of property and there has been some acts of violence towards police. But during the day it is, the whole the masses of it there's so many people that are involved that are standing up and it's peaceful protest i encourage anybody you have to watch the live feeds you have yeah, to see that the situations escalate when the federal government when the federal troops come in and before the federal troops were there when the police come in and try to escalate and show a show of force you know it's just a crazy yeah. situation and unfortunately people that are busy which is fine when they only want to see one side of it, you can get that confirmation bias. It's definitely there for you, you know, and you've been arguing with a lot of your friends from Texas and Oklahoma on Facebook. What are you seeing? Like, what do you, what do you, what is the one thing that you deal with the most when it comes to arguing with facts? Like with people do not, will not look at facts. 
I deal with hypocrisy a lot. And that's again, like where are the, where are the state's rights people yeah. for all of this. And now they're, they're, you have the Fox news saying that people hate America. They've, they've said that about anybody who's not conservative. Well, look, nobody, nobody who's politically active in America hates America. They right. have our own version of how we can make it ideal. Thomas Jefferson said that dissent is the highest form of patriotism. Sure. So I just got to ask those people, is he wrong? I, and, I don't know, think he is. Martin Luther and, King said that rioting is the voice of the unheard. Mm-hmm. You know, not, I actually I miss said that last week. I said protest. It's actually rioting. That's the quote. You know, there's also a quote that I love, not to cut you off, but yeah. propagandi. They're a Canadian punk band, but Propagandi, and I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, they have a line that I just, it's my favorite line in any song ever. And it says, the system I oppose affords me the luxury of biting the hand that feeds. And that's exactly why privileged fucks like me should whine and kick and scream till everyone has everything they need. And so to me, it's like, ugh, because it's like, we will continue to fight until we see equity and equality. And it's never going to change. And so this is the thing that people are like, I wish that things could just go back to normal, like what's happening in Eugene and Portland and Seattle and really across the country with the protests. Turned riots at night, whatever you want to call it. There is a point where it needs to be policed, where it needs to be stopped because we will not accept violence. But that being said, the federal intervention is dangerous and it has caused an escalation and will continue to. And it's literally four campaign ads for Trump. And I've been saying it from the gate. I've been saying it from since before it started, I'm coming up on my hundredth episode and I'm planning on doing where I touch back on some of my predictions. And it's going to be funny because a lot of them were wrong. (laughs) You know, a lot of, I thought Elizabeth Warren would do good, you know, just different things. You can't, well, it's hard to predict anything as it is, but Man, especially in uh, the political atmosphere in America the past few years, you can't predict a damn thing. Well, COVID, I mean, honestly. that's a- we, have, we have such a, a capricious president. You never know what he's going to say. No. You know, I wake up in the morning, just hope that I don't get any, you know, terrible news. Right. Uh, it's yeah. something that our president could have said or done. I mean, he almost started World War III at the beginning of the year when he bombed, uh, when he when he killed Soleimani, the Iranian general. Right. You know what? He was coming back on a peace mission from Saudi Arabia. Sure. He yeah. was coming back from a peace deal. We haven't heard the end of that one, and I, and and I think, you know, my goal with doing these podcasts and bringing people on is to introduce the individual, you in this case, to my audience, and then in the future I can have you back on and we can hone it in focusing on one specific issue. I know foreign relations is something that you're pr- very passionate about. So maybe down the road, we can do an episode about Iran because sure. there's a lot of stuff about it. So Some Daniel Miller, I really appreciate you. It's, it's cool to call you a friend. We've tried to do this interview multiple times and had different issues that it's pretty funny behind the scenes. So I think we finally have done it. It's pretty cool. And this is a, a friendship that I, I want to continue to grow. One thing I want to talk about is I want to mention, I'm going to be, un, uh, I'm going to be uh, rolling out something new on my website where I have guest viewpoints from journalists, from opinion pieces. I want to spotlight some of your work on my website. So for anybody listening to this, stay tuned because my website, which is strpod.com is going to be rolling out a blog section with, with guest viewpoints, editorials, Really cool stuff. So we're going to actually get into a realm of a little bit more journalism. It's all independent. If anybody would like to support the podcast, they can go to strpod.com slash sponsors and make a one-time or monthly donation. I'd like to give a shout out to my title sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro. Oregon Cashflow Pro is on YouTube. And anybody listening to this, I need you to do me a huge favor. Go to Oregon Cashflow Pro's YouTube channel. So go to YouTube and search for Oregon Cashflow Pro and subscribe. He's getting so close to hitting that 1,000 subscriber mark where then it can monetize. He's been working really hard and he does everything for free. You know, there's free money management videos that you can watch and it's really cool. So if you're a fan of this podcast, I need you to do that for me. Go follow Oregon Cashflow Pro on YouTube. Daniel Miller, this is really cool to talk to you and get to pick your brain. That's yeah, uh, a fun experience. 
Yeah, it's cool. You know, and I'm really inspired by your work and I'm going to put, again, I'm going to mention it again in the show notes of this episode. I'm going to put a link to your Facebook page for your journalistic work. And, you know, I, I encourage anybody listening to follow that, you know, they can engage with you, which is really cool about social media is that you're accessible. And if people want to challenge your ideas, you welcome it, which is, which is something that I admire. I've, I like reading the comment board because it is a different perspective because you get a lot of people from, you know, Texas and Oklahoma that are arguing with you on different things. And it's interesting. And you've got a no quit attitude and you also don't block people. You get blocked yourself, but you're not somebody that unless they're being annoying, you said. Yeah. And um, I don't resort to uh, personal insults. I really try and stick with the topic as much as possible. And if I can tell someone's not wanting to have a good faith discussion, then I just don't have time for them. Sure. But I block people. I'm, I'm willing to engage with people who really want to, to, to talk about the issues. Right. I block people all the time. And usually it is because of just that it is because they've taken it to personal insults. You know, I had someone yeah. recently that I'm not going to say the name, but he been friends with him on social media for a long time. And, and then outside of it as well, but he was calling people effing idiots and just unwilling to, ah, it just gets to a point where I'm like, you know what? One of the things that I use my face, personal Facebook feed for my entertainment. So I don't yeah. know. I mean, yes, it's important to hear other people's perspectives, but if you use the word libtard, I've already <laughs> made this decision. If someone says libtard, they get blocked. And I've blocked yeah, they don't really know what they're talking about anyway. We're so. done. Like that's a, that's a game changer. I mean, it's like, if I saw someone use the N word, they'd be gone too. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like there's no hesitation. Yeah. So when it, what's funny is, is that I went through KVAL comment section and KEZI, like local news in Eugene and anybody that said libtard, I blocked them. And I did that for a couple of weeks. So now that things have gotten so crazy what i've been seeing is that there's a lot of holes in my facebook feed people arguing with themselves because they're arguing with someone that said libtard and so my block list is like bigger than any protest that's the irony of it so yeah <laughs> i don't give a shit about it i will block you if i feel like it people can say what they want Sometimes so, you gotta weed out the the riffraff and then right. people won't stop then you you gotta stop it they just don't bring anybody's free speech. It's your own private. That's that's the, that's the biggest thing that cracks me up is that people say, Oh, this is a violation of my first amendment rights. It, it's ha Facebook and you government. Have nothing to do with it. Now, that being said, unfortunately I am an elected official now, <laughs> sort of as a uh, pre yeah. committee person. So I wonder if there is a constitution, there's a constitutional thing because not for my, I'm such a small level of elected office, but like, I think you're not supposed to block people because they can see your, We'll yeah, see. actually, you might you need you do need to look into that because that was um, the federal level for sure. Like like Trump, Trump uh, yeah, on Twitter it ruled that it was unconstitutional for him to block people. So I think he had to unblock people. I know it's disgusting. It, it, well, it makes sense. I'm not so. going to play by the rules until the Supreme Court tells me to change. <laughs> no. So Daniel Miller, thank you very much for doing this. I picked a song a little different than normal. I play a lot of hip hop on this show. I picked a song by a punk band from Eugene. Uh, and it's called bilateral, which I thought was kind of fitting because it's about the duality of, of everything. And, and okay. how there's... so this is the song I'm going to end with, uh, by not a part of it. Jason Burton's a good friend of mine. Shout out to Jason Burton and his band, not a part of it. So this is not a part of it, not a part of it with by the song bilateral Daniel Miller. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoy being on. You're welcome. Let's take the time to learn about what's going inside America. 